Welcome to A Gamer's Story. I'm Noah Geekus, avid fan of gaming and gamers alike. Each episode will feature in-depth conversations with gamers from all areas of gaming. Have you ever wondered about the actual gamers themselves? Their motivations? Their home lives? Their quirks? Just how much time they actually spend gaming? And their thoughts on the future of gaming itself? Join me as I ask them just these questions. Are you ready? I'm very excited to welcome our special guest for today's episode of A Gamer's Story, graphic designer and writer Jeffrey Bunting. Jeffrey is here to discuss how he came to write articles about the role of female characters and feminism in video games. Two guys are about to dive into the subject of the portrayal of female characters in video games. Let's get started. First of all, hello, Jeffrey. You're my first guest that's from the United Kingdom. I know you're a writer and graphic designer, but uh, can you tell the audience a little about where you're from and uh, what you do? Yeah, I'm from the east of England, and I am a book designer, so I design the covers of books and the interiors. And I'm also a freelance journalist who writes in a number of different subjects, including gaming, occasionally. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I just like the interactivity. I'm not a very passive person. I'm not very good at just kind of sitting and doing nothing. So I can't really watch TV a great deal. So I quite like just doing something that is kind of like doesn't take a lot of energy, but I'm also having an active input into it. I'm not I'm not actually having to just kind of sit and be as still as possible because I'm quite a fidgety person. So I like the interactivity. I like the fact that you can really do it for a long time without expending much in the way of energy but for someone like me who doesn't get a lot of time outside of work doesn't get a lot of free time to do so it's quite nice to have something that i can on those rare occasions when i have a block of time just sit down and do for that long because I, I get bored with other things very easy i try and do kind of more traditional hobbies and i give up on them very quickly i, I tried knitting recently and uh, uh, struggled uh, so it's something that allows me to have an active input into a, a fundamentally passive activity and also has a lot of variety within itself so i don't get incredibly bored with it within two weeks uh, i'm also very fidgety like uh i move around a lot my, my mom was like oh my god like no just chill out for a second i'm like like moving around a lot so i like sitting down for like maybe like two or three hours and just playing some games it's just a ton of fun for me. I know that you write articles about gaming, and uh, a number of these articles take a look at female characters or feminism in gaming. So what made you decide to write about that topic? Well, the, kind of one of the main things I do as a designer is research. I'm, 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 a, I'm, a, I'm a researcher, and I'm a very good researcher. And so when I'm looking for subjects to write about, I tend to kind of be looking at a lot of different things at one time and this was just something that stuck out and I, I, I wrote a piece about Hideo Kojima ages ago and that came from kind of my own experience of playing his games and regularly being uncomfortable and so I already had this kind of grounding and I, 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 I've never really had male friends I've always had female friends and so I have this kind of empathetic link to it as well I've had to hear about their experiences and so when I'm kind of starting to write about gaming Back then, so we're talking about the piece about you know, Jim, we're talking about Nintendo's treatment of femininity. I am in a position where I'm looking at this stuff and researching it, and the gaming industry, for an audience that is predominantly 
females, you know, more women play games than men, and in that, in that those figures we include mobile games, as we should. It is a horrible place to be for women. Absolutely terrible, both in terms of de- the development side of it and in game journalism. It's just horrid, and it, it's so male-centric and so borderline abusive that when we see the stuff in the games as well, it, it's something that needs to be communicated as much as possible. And that's really where it came from. I, I, I was looking into it, and then the deeper I got, the more horrible it turned out. And I thought, well, I may, may as well write about it, because that's the only thing I really can do. Yeah, I definitely appreciate the fact that you spread your views on these kinds of things, because if, if people like you don't do it, then nobody will, and then and nothing will change. So uh, I think that when people talk about stuff like this, it definitely helps for other people in the community to recognize what's wrong with it. If that makes any sense. It does, yeah. And and it, I think it's also, we it behooves us to really listen to the people involved. And so there are times when I, you know, you look at these things like, is this really right for me to write about? Because I am a white dude. I, so, but at the same time, kind of needs men and kind of the straight white man that is the predominant figure in this industry or the predominant controlling figure to actually talk about this stuff and write about this stuff because we need to demonstrate that there is support beyond kind of almost the uh, typical stereotypical gamer who is sitting on reddit and getting very angry about anything other than himself being portrayed in a game yeah that's fair and i definitely think as like a male you have a unique sort of view on this thing why do you care about of feminism as a male like like what made you care about it i know that you had friends who were girls but was that the only reason Did you have any other reasons or uh well like i i myself am disabled and i think there certainly at the moment there are a lot of conversations going on in different spheres about you know if we look at things like black lives matter if we look at the conversations around the lgbtq community you know with people like jk rowling just doing what she's doing and inciting the bind that she is. Sometimes we can look at these as very distinct conversations, and in many ways they're not. There's not this kind of great chasm of difference between them. There's a huge amount of overlap. So as someone who is already part of a kind of a marginalised group, it is not hard for me, as someone with empathy, as someone who is educated and has educated themselves in these matters, to see that overlap and understand that by talking about these other conversation getting involved in these other conversations i'm also kind of promoting my own conversations within my own kind of communities in this case the disabled communities so i think yes i've got my entire life i've had women as friends i've been privy to their experiences i've witnessed their experiences and that is an encouragement enough but as, as someone who is kind of in one of these conversations that is happening and, or should be happening and, you know, in, in particular happening in gaming. We've only recently had E3 where there was this big furore about the fact that there was an, a talk about accessibility. It just makes sense to be involved in all these conversations and, and be listening and educating myself as much as possible because, like I say, there isn't this great, vast space between these conversations. They are all you know, happening, yes, in their own spheres, but they, they are linked and there are overlaps and there are certainly overlaps in the people who are engaging with hate. You know, say transphobic people aren't just focused on 
trans people, they are very much aligned with kind of the other far right ideologies. You don't you don't get a lot a lot of racist people who aren't also homophobic. If they are bundling all their hate in one go, it kind of means we have to be engaging with as many of these conversations as possible. Yeah, and I, I definitely think that you have pull outside of just the gaming community. It's this topic definitely has far reach. And I think that it's even if someone doesn't game or they should they should still get the message. They should still understand what should and shouldn't be and what needs to be done to make females be like they actually are. Females are they're strong. They're nice and strong and they they can do their own things. They don't even they don't need to be just like pretty girls to be Princess Peach and Mario. It doesn't have to be like that. Well, that, that, that's kind of, kind of the problem. That's what was, you know, I tried to identify in the piece on Nintendo is the fact that they treat women as they have to be feminine. And when they are feminine, they lose all of their agency. The only way they can be anything but, you know, a, a kind of a prize for a, a male character is to take on traditionally male aspects. I, the, the simple truth is that from the start, as much as kind of the, the slightly darker side of gaming, like to claim that this is a, a male-centric thing from the ground up. Women have been playing games from the start. They have been a major part of the audience. They are here. There's no kind of... I mean, the, the biggest arguments at the moment are that in some way studios, if they include anything remotely female, are pandering to a group who, who don't engage with stuff, but they do, and they and they have for a very long time. They've just found it very hard to have a voice in, in this community because people who, frankly, look a lot like me have been excluding them. And I, I, just, I just... I don't think people who claim to love games, and this goes for really any exclusory fandom, and people who claim to love games can stand by that while they also exclude people, try and exclude people from playing them. It's not meant for a certain type of person. There was never a specificity of someone who could play. It, it could be girl, boy, black, white, anyone, anyone could play. So to try and exclude a certain type of person from playing something that should be played by everyone that can is just wrong. It's just incorrect, and um, I don't think that's fair to girls in the community. Sure, yeah, I think it extends to a, a huge amount of different groups. I mean, we, we haven't seen a great deal of representation. Even if, if we look at kind of society as a whole, there are, as I say, a lot of conversations going on around kind of aspects of sexism, racism, that gaming hasn't caught up with yet. If we talk about gaming characters, they are predominantly white and male, and to be that far behind means that people like me who are talking about accessibility and, you know, kind of, the, you talk about how everyone should be able to play games, well, everyone should be able to play games, but a huge amount of people within, you know, the gaming communities are arguing even against accessibility, accessibility measures such as, you know, a, a so-called easy. So the, the problem with, with, with gaming for me is that, is so far behind what is already a society behind the times. Uh, and it is so pointedly on the wrong side of history at the moment that it needs to be sped up and, and we, we need to encourage that movement and make it happen faster.
Yeah, I definitely think that gaming is a little bit behind on where society is now. Female rights has been an active movement in society for a while and like the show that they have power and they can be their own people, especially in back when like they couldn't vote and stuff and now we've gotten out of there and yet gaming has so latched on to this thought that they aren't as like that they are just trophies or they're just damsels in distress when really they're they can be strong and they can be their own people. Well it's important to remember that kind of gaming is it's not a young medium if you think about the fact that Nintendo have been around since the eighteen eighties. But a lot of the people who were there at the beginning of gaming, like gaming boom in the eighties, who are all men, are still there. It's not as if you know it's not it's not the same as other industries where you know, kind of, if you look at 40s Hollywood, which was very male-centric, well, a lot of the people who are in charge of 40s Hollywood are dead now. And so, even though we've still got a lot of old white dudes doing stuff, like we, we we're also starting to get a bit more kind of progress there. And, you know, if we want to be cynical about it, it's, a bit, it's about kind of the money. You're going to make more money appealing to more people. You're A lot of it is optics. But in the gaming industry... A lot of the people who were kind of pioneering things in the 80s are still in positions of power. And that means that, you know, kind of it's very hard to change things because you can optically change things. You can have a more diverse work- workforce, and this applies to every industry. But if the people at the top are still the same straight, in places, white dudes, nothing's going to change, really. And, and it's not really until these people are moved on and we can actually kind of see kind of more, I guess, more culturally appropriate people in those positions that we're actually going to see change. And I think we're, we're, we're kind of better at that in the West, again, even if we do it cynically. And then, you know, kind of, I mean, Japan has a pretty poor track record anyway, but if you certainly, you know, if we're talking about, you know, women and accessibility, you know, gaming in Japan is just even further behind the Western game industry, which is already, as I said, really behind you know, where we are as a society. Eventually, hopefully, we'll be able to start moving forward with different things, maybe having more women as main characters, strong leads. But unfortunately, we um, are where we are, where we haven't really, where uh, girls haven't really completely shifted into the main character role as, uh, as males have, I mean, as males originally were. So it's unfortunate, but... Hopefully we can grow out of it. And uh, I mean, it's unfair to girls and women, but we just have to wait it out. We have to try. I mean, we can keep doing things like these writing articles, talking about it. And um, I think that's the best we can do until game designers just change their thought process. Well, I think we also have a a responsibility to kind of force them to change their habits and and their thought processes. And I think there are a huge number of very talented women in the industries, you know, in, in journalism and who are trying to do that. It's very hard for them, obviously, given the state of the industry. But I think there's, I, I have a lot of hope for the future because of what I'm seeing. But I, I obviously, my issue is that it's moving very slowly. And I think it, it you know, and, and it's true, for, again, for the for the whole, whole lot. It just could be so much better. Female game designers themselves, they should definitely, there should be more of those and then, and, and and that would definitely change the industry for the better because you don't see as much of those, not anymore, but usually the game designers are male, but there should be more females, more females in the industry. Moving on, 
Is it hard to take on such a big topic through a gaming lens that's part of a bigger problem in society? I mean, it is and it isn't. I've mentioned before that there are times when you look at a subject and you do have to ask, is this is this my story to tell? Is this something that I should be writing about? Um, what I will, will say again, like I, I, I am a, a researcher, that is one of the things, and there is a lot of really great work out there already from which to build. Uh, a lot of that work is from, you know, these marginalised groups that aren't being represented effectively. So it is kind of almost from a philosophical standpoint. There are times when I, I do have to stop and say, you know, there have been pieces I started writing and then said, actually, this isn't my story. So this isn't something I should write. This isn't something I, I understand well enough yet to write about. Again, like there is so... <laughs> the, the gaming journalism industry is in this weird place where a lot of the major outlets are kind of terrible at what they do. And they are not reporting on things effectively. They are not kind of reviewing things effectively. And so a lot of like the best writing and the best resources are coming from almost these kind of niche points. YouTube has become a, a, you know, a focus point for a lot of these groups to actually talk about their experiences that they can't get into, you know, these major outlets. And so it's not hard in the sense it's not hard to find the stories it's not hard to find the information it's all out there but you do have to dig for it a bit because it's not going to be on the first page of google because the first page of google is full of reddit so it's it's not i don't know it's it's a difficult one i mean i am i am someone who finds writing very very hard it's just something i've always found very difficult to do but in terms of actually finding the stories they're they're out there you just have to want to look and i think that's the point like a lot of people don't want to look they would rather just report on oh well you know this company have released a trailer for this thing here's 300 words that we can file very quickly rather than actually taking the time to investigate and have real comment on these these bigger stories which would obviously be easier if they actually hired people who were involved in these communities but no, I mean certainly on in my experience, people aren't really aren't really taking on those. Well, the, the, I've applied for a few kind of freelance roles in this, with the kind of view of like I'd like a better base to make this easier for me to do. And you know the teams are loads of white dudes. They are only hiring white dudes. And as soon as you kind of show any kind of interest outside the sphere of you know white men in gaming they're not interested so it is hard to find a place for these pieces to live um it's one of the reasons that i, I have my own blog is that there's, there's you know that you're not always going to find a home for every piece it's the people who are actually playing the games that they're putting out maybe you won't exactly fix a problem that'll at least help or because we, we have to at least try to fix this problem because it's not right it's just wrong well i mean there are huge amount of people working at this or working for the betterment of, of the industry but it, it is really important to remember that it kind of does only take one person with you know a kind of iota of power to undermine all that and again we've seen that with with someone like jk rowling who has just completely who has used her platform to completely undermine an already precarious position for trans people uh, in the UK and in the West, and we we are seeing that have real world effects. So it, it only takes one prominent YouTuber to do something and say something wrong to attract every single kind of wrong and the worst per people 
to really undermine any work that anyone does towards the betterment of the industry. And it is towards the betterment of the industry. So I think you're right. It is a group task and there are a huge number of people doing that and working very hard for that. But it, it just takes so little to undermine it. And especially when the people in positions of power in these, you know, the, the development and production companies are, are already in that frame of mind. You know, they only need a little bit of support to kind of maintain their viewpoint. I definitely agree with that because from my perspective, a lot of times the person who controls the thing can just say no and it just works that way because we buy their games. Even if we fight for these things, other people who may or may not be supporting it still buy the games that they're selling so they can keep doing it and getting away with it because we're still buying their games, which I think they should listen to us, but they control what what goes out. They control the game. So, yeah, I, I mean, the problem with, with that is that so many of the companies that are being pressured to change are so well established that it doesn't matter how many people stop buying their games because there's always going to be thousands upon thousands of people buying. Them. I mean, I mean, I'm trying to think of recent kind of controversies. Uh, someone like Activision releasing Call of Duty Black Ops, Cold War, whatever that. Obsidian long titles, and it was unfinished. Well, there was any number of people complaining about that and saying this is a terrible thing, but there were also any number of people who just didn't care and just bought it anyway. So it takes so little for, say, an indie-developed game with a diverse crew behind it to fail because their, their margins are so much lower. When it comes to bigger companies, it's so much harder to put pressure on them because for every person who's sitting there saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to buy their games until they make a change. I'm not going I'm, I'm going to try and get them at their, at their wallets, which is where it really hurts and it, and it really does. There's going to be 10, 20, 30 people for every single one person who are just going to buy it anyway because they don't care. That is one of the things, because even if they're producing games like this, before then, even before then, they've already gotten money. They've already built themselves up so that now, even if people didn't buy their games, even if it happened, they'd, they'd still be a strong enough company to where that they could still rebel against it. They could still, like, not say it, not, like, change. And they would be fine because of all the money they built up before. And that just makes it so hard to change the kinds of things that they're doing but we have to try anyway it's i mean it's hard to know if they'll change or not my concern is that it's going to be 20 years before we see meaningful change whereas with and again with the conversations that we are seeing now in society we should be seeing radical change elsewhere and we've kind of seen that in in film and television and you know, for the better, like some of the stuff we are seeing coming out now because studios are starting to include, you know, black creators, more women, more LGBTQ creators. We are seeing shows that appear incredibly original, despite not necessarily being that original, but because they are coming from different perspectives. And there is a, a future in which we have that in gaming as well. And this kind of stagnation that we have in gaming currently, where so much primacy is given to say just developing big worlds with a lot of stuff in it there is a future where we are getting interesting stories from interesting perspectives that make the gaming industry feel more original than it is rather than just building on the same things over and over and over again we are getting something new 
And that can't come soon enough, not just from a uh, progressive standpoint, but from a creative standpoint, because, frankly, I'm very, very bored of seeing, say, Bethesda release enormous buggy maps and going, well, that's it, that's all we've got, we've just got, like, the, the biggest map. And similarly, I'm quite, personally quite bored of seeing indie companies just going like, well, look, we have no agency in this industry. There's not a great deal we can do. So we're just going to do a game with the graphics of Mega Man and hope for the best. And you know, some of them have really kind of transcended that indie kind of status. You know, and, you know, I'm thinking of games like Hollow Knight in particular, but many of them just stay there. And so there, there's a point where those creatives hopefully can become established within an industry and create a more interesting and creative gaming industry beyond just here's the next Bethesda game, here's the next Call of Duty. It, it's it, this kind of rolling cycle of the same thing happening year on year is getting incredibly tedious from a gaming point of view and is obviously, again, from a progressive point of view, just a real constant setback of we are not keeping up. Yeah, it's really unfortunate because indie studios need to build up a name for themselves Whereas, like, Call of Duty, if you liked one of the Call of Duties and you kept playing it, well, you're going to buy the next one, no matter whether you think it's good or it's bad, because of the company, because of the games you played before it. So once you've bought one, it just won't stop. You'll keep playing them. And then indie companies like that can't get on their feet unless, like, almost like a ton of people see their potential and go play their games. Whereas like companies like Activision, you play their games and you keep playing them because you, the company is has like a good reputation like for that kind of thing and uh, for games and stuff. And that just means that we're kind of stuck with certain games that we may or may not, that some people may or may not like, but you may not know about certain indie releases, but you'll always know when the next Call of Duty is coming out. And even then, we can't make changes if we don't have people in game designers, indie game designers, in the community, and we don't get their games. The Activision's a really good example, actually, because um, Modern Warfare 2019 came at a time when Activision was really struggling with the franchise, and it turned out to be the most one of the most successful games they have ever produced. Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War comes out, and it's objectively not as strong a game. It's unfinished, but because it's Activision have built up this audience with the previous game in the series, they get this huge audience for the, the next game. It's not as big, it's not as successful, but it's successful enough for them to justify everything they've done with that game you don't get that in indie gaming because generally though if you, if you think of most indie studios they've probably released that have, that have had some success they've probably released one game that has done well and kind of their others tend to fall a bit short and again like unlike activision who can fall short on something like cold war but still do very well indie games don't have it, it it's also kind of worth saying that i believe in right saying is that activision isn't just Activision. It's part of Blizzard, or it owns Blizzard. So even if it fell on slightly hard times, you know they they would have no issue kind of closing a couple of their outlier studios and fundamentally being part of this big conglomerate that helps them stay afloat. I mean, it's it, epic of buying up everything in in a very Disney kind of way. Uh, there was a huge, almost controversy with the fact that Microsoft bought Bethesda. <laughs> so. 
indie gaming and the creative within it, and, and not all of them are kind of almost outcasts of the industry. Some of them are people who've been within the industry and stifled by this model, which is just like I say, this kind of constant cycle of the same thing over and over again, have gone on to form their own companies. So, yes, we want more indie developers within the industry, but the industry also needs a reform that isn't just... so Because there's going to come a point, I think, when we really have to examine what Disney are doing in the film industry. Because they have bought everything. And I don't think we're that far away from the same thing happening in gaming, especially with, as I say, with, with Epic Games doing what they're doing, with Microsoft having bought... I think they bought Zenimax, didn't they? They didn't buy Bethesda. They just got Bethesda as part of that deal. We're going to see a point where maybe like two or three major companies own pretty much everything. And then there's also going to be Nintendo who refuse to own anything and just make their own stuff. And that is going to be just as damaging as the fact that, you know, we we don't have many creatives within the industry. Because I am sure that hundreds, if not thousands, of the developers that evolve in, the, in this industry are incredibly creative people that are just doing a certain job within a certain company that they don't have a whole lot of control over. I think that's true also. Like, I think that a lot of people are great game designers and they're great people, but the industry is getting... Different companies are getting taken by certain ones and soon enough, most of the games you'll be seeing will be coming from the same same kinds of companies. And it's going to make it different and kind of boring because you'll be seeing a lot of the same releases and then maybe some new ones from different franchises that they've they've gotten, but it'll be the same. And we should be able to open up this community to, to different game designers and developers and indie ones and ones that haven't came up in a while or, or ones that are just starting or really anyone. There should be room to to create new games and it should just be a community where anyone's game can be accepted well i think we're reaching a kind of breaking point with this kind of thing i mean activision recently signaled that they're not really interested in when it comes to say something like quality they're not really interested in the multiplayer experience they're not really interested in the campaign experience they're only interested in the battle royale system that they haven't played towards it and we're seeing any number of different similar games going in for the same system. And I think there's going to come a point where something like that breaks, and we're going to see that in a lot of different sectors. So I think we're not far off a, a point in the gaming industry where this need to be doing the same thing as your competitors rather than improving you know, like this kind of catch-up game is going to do something. And it, it's either going to go the way I mentioned where everything's bought up by the same people, the same values are just imposed on these companies and they end up doing the same thing over and over and over again and, and the consumer isn't involved. Or, and we're kind of seeing this already with something like uh, Battlefield 2042, which has basically said, well, look, if, if, if Activision aren't going to do multiplayer anymore, then we're going to do it. And we're going to take those... And it's, it's one of the few times I've seen a, a major company in DICE and us, EA, say, we're not just going to chase what other companies are doing. We're actually going to try and get ahead of it. And we're going to try and do something new. It's not new to say we're going to have a multiplayer game. But do something new that these companies aren't necessarily focusing on at the moment. And I think... And I don't think it's going to be... I don't think it's going to be soon... 
But I think within the next five years, something is going to crack. And under all that pressure, we might find that a lot of these kind of smaller studios and these smaller kind of organizations are going to become significantly more prominent. I also think, frankly, probably Nintendo are going to do very well out of it. So, yeah, I think it's all very doom and gloom, but I I don't think we're far away from some kind of event which is going to spark creative change. Yeah, I sure hope so, because, as you said, it doesn't look like the best for gaming, but I I really do hope that, and I do see in the future something happening where it may change up uh, the gaming community, and or it may... Um, Something may crack, as you said, and um, maybe a new type of game will come out of it. Maybe there'll be something, maybe something important will come out of it. And all we can do is hope for that because um, right now where we're at, it isn't great, but I feel like we can make something out of it. Yeah, so um, on a lighter note, what's your favorite game and why? Oh, God, I don't know. The uh, the game I've spent most time playing over the last kind of couple of years Persona 5, I, I think I um, I, th- I think that's kind of signaled in the fact that I wrote a whole essay about Persona 5. But I, I think all told, including Strikers, I spent about 400 hours on that game, which is a lot for me. I don't know, I don't know what my favourite game would be. That's a really difficult one. I think one of the games that stuck with me, I, I didn't it's not to say, it is one of my favourite games, but one that I've thought about more than any other is probably Return of the Obra Dinn which is this kind of seafaring detective game, which is probably... I mean, I was reading something recently which said that Judgment, the uh, Yakuza spin-off, is probably the best detective game in the world. I don't think that's true. I think Return of the Obra Dinn definitely is. But it's a very hard question to answer. There are bits from my youth, where I was very much a Nintendo boy, that will always argue with any kind of modern game that I say, oh, I think this is one of my favourite games. I don't know. I mean, I think... It's a list that would include Persona 5, some kind of Zelda game, probably Majora's Mask, Return of the Oberdin, and maybe a couple of others I'm completely forgetting, something like Resident Evil 2. It's, it's just, I, I'm 30 years old, you know, I, I was I was a child in the, the boom, like the latter end of the boom in the 90s, and so I've just, I throughout my life, I've just had games as a partner i mean my, my parents would just like say look we've got an snes now just go away leave us alone go play a game so i've probably played you know hundreds of games in my life and so to pick even a, a small number of them out go you know these are the best ones but i don't think I can. but certainly like i say return of the Oprah just stays in my mind and i'm very upset that because it's a detective game it's not the most replayable game in the world so i can't play it again and it's one of those things that you just say i can't play this for the first time again yeah, I really like Persona 5, actually. That's a ton of fun. You spend a lot of time on it. I've spent a lot of time on it, but I, I really do like it. Uh, I, I could not say my favorite game as well. It's hard. I probably haven't played as many games as you have, but there is a lot that I've... I mean, I, d- I don't know, because it's a lot easier to get games now. Like, when I was younger, you'd get maybe two games a year. You'd get one for your birthday and one for Christmas. And if you were lucky... You might get more than one. Like, I remember one Christmas, we probably got, like, a, an N64 game, and I got Pokemon on the Game Boy. Yeah, so, it, it, with A, with subscription services, and B, with how cheap games can get, I think it's a lot easier to access games. I still have this kind of, almost this idea of that I don't deserve to have 30 games in my to playlist, because I grew up in this kind of, this, this space of scarcity where 
you never had a new game to play. You just had to replay the same game over and over and over again. I think that's why I'm so good at getting trophies. Is just because I'm so used to the mundanity of just continuously pl- playing a game. But yeah, I mean, I was looking. I've, I've, I've got PlayStation now at the moment, and I was looking. And there's like hundreds of games on there. Like young people, people your age, just have so much options. To it, it must be so hard to just pick a game and play it for a bit. Yes, that is actually very accurate. I have an Xbox, and I recently got a PS5. So. The PS5, it isn't crazy hard to choose since I have like three or four games so far because I don't have that much money. But I have a ton of Xbox games. I have my Xbox for like uh, like four or five years now. And and I, I have like so many games. So sometimes I'm just looking through these and I'm like, but I want to play this one, but I want to play this one, and I want to play this one. And I'm like, but which one do I choose? And it takes me like 10 minutes just to choose like which game I want to play, not even playing it. <laughs> And it's funny because we do have a lot of options now, especially like things like Steam and then, of course, the Xbox and PS4 or PS4, PS5 stores on the actual consoles themselves. It just gives you so much access and options to where you can look for so long just for just for one game. And you have like $20 and you're still just looking, 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 even with like that small amount of money, you know? Well, I think, I th- I think that that's, that's part of my mind. Like the PlayStation Store never doesn't have a sale. And so I might, I might turn the game and go, I've got half an hour between, you know, as a break to, to do something here. And I end up spending 15 minutes going, well, I may as well have a look at the PlayStation Store, we'll see what's on there. <laughs> Having to go to a shop to buy a game. I live in like this, I live in the sticks, I live in this village in the middle of nowhere. So it was quite a long journey to go into the city, go to a game store, which I don't know if we even have those anymore, like an actual video game shop. And either go and rent a game, which again I don't think is something we have anymore, or you know go. But it was it was a journey. It was like a thing. It was a whole day you had to spend just to go and get one game. Now you can take you know, as you say, like twenty dollars onto the PlayStation Store and pick up two or three on sale. And suddenly you're like, well, I don't know what I'm going to play. But I've I've been I've been playing Fallout seventy six lately, and because it's so easy just to go on and do something for twenty minutes, I've been trying my hardest to play Judgment for a bit because I want another detective game. And in the last two weeks since I got it from PlayStation Now, I think I've put an hour into it because it's just so hard to sit there and go, oh, what do I feel like playing now? Whereas when I was a kid, it was like, I'm going to play the game. I literally do not have a choice but to play this one thing because it's the only thing we have. It's the only new thing I have. That's fair. I mean, I think there's so many options now. I'm not saying people should stop producing games. I'm just saying that now it takes me like 15, 20 minutes to look through the store for like $60 in hand because you can get four or five games on sale or you can get like one one like game from like one of the bigger companies. So you got to scroll around. You got to check. You got to check what's uh, in what's uh, on sale. The options are hard, but they also give you more uh, more things to play. And I, and I think that's good. So, what current games are you playing? Um, well, I, like I said, I mentioned I was playing Fallout 76, which is a, a real time sink. I mean, I just... <laughs> I, I, I think I've been playing that for a month. You know, I was put onto it by a friend of mine, and I, I think I've probably put more time into that than I have any other game this year, because all the Persona 5 stuff came last year. I've got a couple on the go on, on the Switch. I just bought Skyward Sword, because I never actually played that on the Wii. I'm also playing Judgment, as I mentioned. I, I occasionally will drop in for some 
other games I just got the Tokyo Olympics game which is so again much as with my favourite game it's very hard to say I'm playing one game at the moment I mean that's just what I'm like I mean I'm reading like seven books at the moment that's just it's just when you when you only have like when you have these pockets of time to do things uh, as I do as a as a thirty year old, you know, you kind of you don't you might get a couple of hours in the evening, but fundamentally you're you're working on like kind of twenty minute half an hour. It's very hard just to do one thing for a bit because you've really got to do whatever you feel like doing. So yeah, I as a list, Fallout seventy six, Judgment, Skyward Sword. I'm still playing Pokemon Snap, <laughs> and I think that's it. Oh no, I'm playing um <laughs> I'm playing Pokemon X on the three DS. <laughs> Because I, I, I'm only, like, that's me catching up. I'm doing it with TV as well. I'm like in 2016 for TV, for actually watching TV shows. So I'm, so I'm, I'm catching up on some of the Pokemon games I missed. So yeah, about five or six different games. Oh, I'm also playing through Mass Effect, the series of Mass Effect, but I finished the first one recently. So I could pl- try and play Judgment. Where do you think gaming is headed? I, I think from the trajectory it's been on, I think it, it's, it's trying its best to emulate the film industry in some way and I think as, as I mentioned previously I think that's what's probably going to lead to some kind of uh, breaking point for it I don't think that kind of model works you're obviously seeing a lot of games in production as television series and films now in particular uh, The Last of Us I think Uncharted is getting a film at some point so that kind of narrative driven game where you know the narrative isn't as strong as people think they are but they, they are kind of now. I, I think we're going to see a point where there's a convergence of the two. And we've seen that with Netflix a bit. They've had their interactive films. Whether that is successful, considering the fact that VR is still quite a fringe thing, I don't know. I I, I think we're probably in some way going to just see more of the same. And we're, just, we're going to see, in the same way we have with computers, I think we're going to see rapid improvements in production, hopefully rapid improvements in narrative i think there's a lot more onus on story but i don't think we're quite at a stage where stories are strong enough i get very frustrated with easy modes being called story modes when there's no real story i think i think spider-man did that and spider-man doesn't even have a story it's just like go into new york and fight things so i i think we're, we're going to see rapid advancement in terms of technology and I don't think that's going to go to the places that many people think it will. I don't think we're going to see VR and AR become as big as some people predicted a few years ago. I think we're going to see more of the same. And I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing on a technological standpoint. I think for gaming to remain distinct from other industries, I think would be a positive. I, I don't think we're going to see anything particularly outrageous in the same way as we keep seeing in film whenever kind of video games are presented in film in the future they're always essentially something you'd live in physically or you know at least i I don't think we're we're ever going to get there i think the longer the gaming remains something you can do to relax and sit on your couch the better to be honest i definitely have seen the mold between video games and movies like um there's a ratchet and clank movie that one with the game so basically the game used like visual clips from the movie and it didn't make the story much better because they were since it was a preset plot in the movie 
it, it you couldn't change it for the game. So if the game had a different like had a different storyline or had a different part, if the parts didn't exactly match, they couldn't do anything about it. So I don't think it was the smartest decision to use the movies or use the movie parts. And then now there's actually like a Mortal Kombat movie. The other one was like an animated movie. Now there's actually a was it one of my words I'm thinking of live action. Now it's actually a live action Mortal Kombat movie, so you can definitely see them. Yeah, not not to show my age again, but we have actually already had a Mortal oh, Kombat yeah, movie yeah. back in like the nineties. I believe with Jean Claude Van Damme. That might have been Street Fighter, I don't know. But it was bad. I've heard a lot of good things about the new Mortal Kombat movie. I do what's the one thing I will say, like the use of kind of film in games has been done for for a while. I remember very vividly the old Lord of the Rings game that were licensed would use kind of just clips from the, the the films and then very obviously kind of meld then into kind of the 3D of the game. These are these came out, these would come out in like two, the mid-2000s. So you can imagine how jarring that change would have been. I, th- I think we've seen other stuff like that a lot as well. I mean, we would, I, I, there's any number of games that have had kind of comics and shows attached to them as kind of almost prequel or, or supplemental um, work. And I don't think it has ever worked. Like, as you say, you know, with the Ratchet and Clank, I just don't, I don't, I don't think you can do that. Games have to be this movable medium that we as the player have agency in. And so when you have this kind of very set I- external plot, it makes it very difficult to do that. And I don't, I don't think necessarily that means that every game has to be really long, have loads of choices. I mean, I... I got a lot out of um, the remake of Resident Evil 2, which is a very linear experience. But I don't think I don't think we can meld that stuff together in the same way. I think the storytelling needed for games is very distinct from the storytelling needed for a two-hour film or a ten-hour show. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. There's a whole slew of like mobile games that have entities like media entities like Power Rangers or like minions or like this people will be attached to them i don't think it's the best idea to go with it because there's a lot of things that like the restricting things that come with that mortal Kombat is like a singular entity so if you made a movie around it you would have to follow those guidelines like to a t or if you made a game around a movie same kind of thing the movie has like a specific plot line so your game has to be like about that plot line about those characters it restricts you in some ways that can be good in some ways like you could you know what you're going to be doing you know what the plot line is it, it solves itself for you but oftentimes i don't think it's going to work because it, it just ties you down to something and um i think that ho- hopefully something new arises out of the fact that out of the fact that these two things are melting but if people may get like bored of just having like cross movie into game or game into movie kind of things well, I, I think there, there's a there's a precedent in the fact that just every single game adaptation into a movie has been pretty terrible. Uh, Mortal Kombat lends itself to it quite well because it's the game is literally just people beating each other up. Uh, and, and if you think about kind of the, the better video game movies, I'm thinking of something like Detective Pikachu. What do you want my audience to know that I haven't asked you? Nothing, maybe. I think. <laughs> okay, that <laughs> is that is that an answer? Is that an effective answer? Yeah, no. That, I, that I, just I, I, means I, I did my job well. <laughs> 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 That's what that means. So I'm happy about that. 
Okay, now I've got one thing. I would like your audience to know that they should go and play Return of the Oberdin because that that game deserves a lot more exposure. Uh, it, it's it's really good. <laughs> That's all I've got. All right. Finally, uh, leave my audience with some positive thoughts and ideas on how we can make a change in the industry to break up these old systems. Well, I I mean, I guess two things that audiences can do quite easily. Uh, one is to better support progressive games, I guess, and so to better support the smaller companies, the indie games that are actually trying to do something with the medium, um, to divert their support from these big companies which are doing absolutely nothing, both progressively and creatively. And the other is to actually engage with these conversations sincerely. More people need to engage with these conversations sincerely and with a more open mind and with a bit of empathy. You know, I actually say my experience isn't the only experience that needs to be told. And I am not the only person who should be able to do these things, that should be able to play these games. Yeah, I just I just think more people need to actually listen to what's happening in these conversations rather than reacting to something and if they do that they might learn something and that might in future spark change if you if you've got say a 17 year old on twitter being really horrible to everyone and then suddenly something stops them and they say actually you know if i actually listen to what's going on here i can see where someone's coming from in seven years time they might be in the gaming industry and have the power to make some sort of minor change so reallocate support as much as possible and engage sincerely with the conversations that are being had in the industry. You made some great points and I think definitely important to make sure that you can you can spread your support. So with that, we're coming to an end. I would like to thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Sincerely. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> and I hope you had a good time. So thank you so much. Yeah, it's fun. Jeffrey, I'm so glad you were able to discuss how gaming has shaped some of your bigger worldviews. You showed our listeners that gaming can offer more than just entertainment and can be an avenue to discuss larger issues in society. For those listening, please make sure you go follow Jeffrey on all of his social media platforms and read the other articles he has written about gaming and other topics as well. Also, take a look at some of his incredible book cover designs. Thanks for listening to this episode of A Gamer Story Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend and subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for me, you can reach me directly at agamestory.com. Thanks for listening.